I'm a millennial. Um, I, I don't know how else to put that. Uh, it, it's, it's, not, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I think when I read a lot of these news articles, um, kind of, I don't even know where they're from, but you, you read about how all the problems of our society is because of my generation. It's because we're ruining everything. I remember reading an article saying that millennials would rather spend $9 for avocado toast than spend $9 for healthcare or something like that. It was, it was just blaming us for, for all the problems that we have. Um, and I, I, I think I'm beginning to see even more in my conversations, uh, just randomly, don't worry, there's not a single conversation that I, I've had, but at this church, because there aren't many millennials here at this church, and so I think I kind of camouflage every once in a while. Like sometimes um, Dan, our worship leader, he'll be talking to me, and he'll be like, he'll be like, yeah, man, remember when we were in high school? And I'm like, man, I was in elementary school. He's like, oh, I forgot. And, I, and, and so that happens uh, quite frequently. So sometimes uh, I'm with some people, and, and they'll be basically be saying like, man, these dang millennials. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's me. Like, that's, that's who I am. And, and I, I realized one of the stresses of being a millennial, one of the, one of the major stresses is, is the topic of money. And how do I, it's even awkward for me to like verbalize, verbalize the stresses that come with money um, as a millennial. And, and as I even think about what I'm trying to convey to you, at the end of the day, I don't want you to remember what I have to say about money. I want you to remember what Jesus has to say about money. And not just money. Today, we're not talking about money only. We're talking about possessions. And, and I'm going to be saying this word or th- th- this, this phrase um, that I want you to understand that Jesus is talking specifically about this. The phrase I want you to know is, is or this, this term, it's called net worth. And, and, and I think as a millennial, uh, a lot of my millennial friends, a lot of the younger millennials, the, the high school kids, or even, even younger than that, uh, our understanding of net worth is a little bit different because we don't have net worth. And we don't, we don't really have uh, a, a lot of things to, to worry about and be concerned about. But what we need to understand is that it's a big deal. That it's something that can shape the way in which we live our lives. It shapes the way in which we see the world. It shapes the way in which we interact with our children, with our parents, with our siblings, with our friends. The way in which we view money impacts very deeply and greatly the way in which we interact with the world. And if we mishandle it, if we don't do it in the correct way, it's inherently going to ruin your life. It's going to suck the joy out of everything in your life. And again, this is really where I want us to take a balanced approach. And the balanced approach is not one in which I'm just going to tell you to live your life a certain way. The balanced approach is the balance which has been set by Christ, not by me. Not by some financial guru that's been telling you over a podcast how to spend and manage your money. The balance in which we need to be able to view God and money must be set by Jesus. And if we don't live by the balance that Jesus has set, we're inherently going to ruin our lives. So today I want us to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. 
And we're going to start from verse 19. And, and again, wherever you are in terms of your possessions, your finances, wherever it is, this is not a judgment on you. This is not an indictment on you to, to make you feel guilty. If anything, I want to free you. I want to have you understand Jesus' view on your net worth. So starting from verse 19 of chapter 6 in Matthew. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So that final word there, money, is the Greek word mammon. And I know you, a lot of you have heard it, but the word mammon doesn't mean money. The word mammon means possessions. It means, it means all the things that, that create value, that have value, that hold, that hold some kind of value to you, that it's this word that's lumped up into this word mammon, which means possession. And, and the translation says money because it helps us understand what this word means. And I've heard some pretty weird things about how mammon is supposed to be translated, but really the way that I translate it is net worth. And, and, and the reason why I say net worth is because now, nowadays a lot of people are looking at how they can evaluate how rich they are. And it's not necessarily just how much cash you have in the bank. It's not how much gold you have hidden away in, in, in your sock drawer. It's not that. It, it really is, is how much possessions you have. And, and the interesting thing is this term, this idea existed in Jesus' time. This, this idea existed to these people who in comparison to the average person here, they didn't own very much. They didn't have many valuable things, especially in consideration to the way in which antiquity, uh, ancient times worked out. It wasn't as if they were able to have an ATM machine and, and store all of their money in one place. Their valuables were, were something that they were able to hold within their own households. Maybe a valuable to them was, was a garment, or it was like a robe. Something very valuable, something very delicate, something that took a lot of time and effort to produce. Maybe one of their valuables is, is something like a coin, something that's, that's like a precious metal that, that they have hidden away somewhere in their home. And yet, even though our values may be much more expensive, um, if you showed someone from this day and age one of your cars, they would be blown away because they wouldn't even understand what, that, what a car was. And so even if you, you, you drive something that's beaten down and broken, they would be so amazed by the fact that you own something that can go faster than their camels, faster than their horses, something that, that was able to take you that long of a distance. And yet, even though our, our net worth, our value is so much greater than them, Jesus' words cut deeper. Jesus' words don't just apply to them in their context. Jesus' words are truth. And, and not just some normal truth that, that, oh, that's really good, that's really good to hear. The, the, the truth that Jesus speaks is a universal truth. 
meaning that he's explaining to us the nature of reality, the nature of life forever and forevermore. That the words that come out of Jesus' mouth aren't just meant to be timely in the moment, although they are. The heart, the meaning behind what Jesus had to say, cuts through all of time and space. It cuts through all generations. It doesn't matter if you're a millennial. It doesn't matter if you're a baby boomer. It doesn't matter if you were born in antiquity. Whatever you are in, in time, Jesus' words will ring true. I guarantee you, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, when we read Jesus' words, they will still ring true. And the thing about truth, the thing about this kind of truth, is that it's meant to sharpen you. But that sharpening will make you inherently feel uncomfortable. Anytime you're being disciplined, anytime you are being strengthened, anytime you are called to get into that next level of life, that next stage where you are able to do more than you, were, you ever thought you were able to, it will lead you into a place of discomfort. When you sharpen a knife, you see the sparks fly. When you, when you try to make something different than it already is, you have to add pressure, you have to have change, and it's not comfortable. See, I think I've heard this passage preached too many times. I think I've heard the whole Sermon on the Mount, especially as I dive into it, I've, I think I've heard it so many times that many times what ends up happening is because people want to be interesting and creative, what ends up happening is we stray away from the issue itself. Is that we know what Jesus says. We know, we know what he means. We know the truth that he's trying to show us and trying to reveal to us. But instead of facing it head on, what we end up doing is we kind of make a detour around it. We take a detour around it and we miss the point altogether. See, Jesus makes it very clear that he wants us to store our treasures not here on earth. That in and of itself should make you feel uncomfortable. The fact that Jesus does not want your treasure to be stored here on earth should make you feel uncomfortable. But instead, he wants you to store your treasures in heaven. And so first, understanding what Jesus has to say here, it, it really is going to impact the way in which you live your life. And, and here, here's... You have to understand, this is not a comfortable message even for myself. Because I have a bank account. I have a retirement account. I, 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 have, I have things where we save and we work very hard to be good stewards of, God's, of God, God's blessings on us and what we've done. We try our best. And when we come into this idea, this word of treasure, of what is valuable, I think the, the internal struggle even in myself is when it comes to my bank accounts, it's very easy to determine value. It's very easy to, to, to see in, in numerical form how much value there is, how much treasure there is, what it's worth, not only to me, but what it's worth to society, what it's worth to everyone else, to the public. That if you have a certain amount in your bank account, you can determine value very quickly. The hard part is, is that when we talk about value, the treasures that are stored up in heaven, we can't just get a current balance. We can't just go up to a, a heavenly ATM and say, okay, I want to know how much, how much money do I have in heaven? How much treasure do I have in heaven? 
And so already, we're because of the way we view net worth, the way we view value, it's very difficult to even hear Jesus' words that say, do not store for yourselves treasures here on earth. Store it instead in heaven. The first difficulty we, we need to overcome is the way in which we determine value. So Jesus goes into it and explains the way we, in which we determine value. He explains the reason why you don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth is because moth and rust will destroy it. Thieves will come in. They'll steal it. But treasure in heaven cannot be destroyed. That it cannot be stolen. And again, this is where a lot of us begin to feel that pushback. We begin to feel this, this feeling of, okay, I understand to a certain degree what that means, but what is the practicality in that? You're telling me that I need to store up for myself treasures in heaven and not here on earth, but the things on earth are so tangible, they're so real. What are these treasures in heaven? And again, I don't think Jesus is talking in code. I don't think he's talking in a way that he's trying to confuse you, trying to manipulate you, trying to make you feel that you're not fully understanding. He wants you to understand. Not only does he want you to understand what this means, he wants you to live by this. And I think the word treasure means a lot. And the idea of treasure is same today as it was back then. It is what is most valuable to you. What, that, that is what, what is precious to you. What Jesus is setting up here is, is, is something that's so radical, that is so difficult for us to comprehend because of the society and culture we live in. But not only is it difficult for you, we have to understand it's difficult for the audience he's speaking to back then. He's trying to get us to understand that the things, the possessions that we have on this earth, that they must inherently have less value than spiritual treasure, than heavenly treasure. The easiest way I can break it down to you is this. God is more interested in your character. He's more interested in your integrity. He's more interested in your relationships than he's interested in how much stuff you have. God is more interested in how well you love someone. He's interested in how well you help someone. He's interested in how well you converse with someone than he's interested in how much your house is worth. God is way more interested in the way in which we interact with one another He's way more interested in how we interact with him than how we interact with our bank account. You see, what Jesus is trying to explain is that our focus, our desire, and our heart will be inherently attached either to spiritual treasure or to our treasure here on earth. Our hearts, your, your desire, your passion, your emotions will either be connected to the kingdom of God or be connected to the kingdom of this earth. It's as simple as that. Either your, your mind, will, and emotions, yourself, will be interested in how God's kingdom works, how God's kingdom flourishes, how God's kingdom grows, how it expands, how it impacts, how it changes, how it influences, or your mind, will, and emotions will be interested in how the world operates, how the world grows how your possessions here on this earth will be increased. And Jesus makes it very clear to us what this 
is. And he explains this viewpoint of either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this earth, that it's the way in which our eyes see reality. The way in which your eyes see are very important. It is your perspective on life. This isn't something that is just flippant and just something that I can just say, it doesn't really matter too much. Just, just I hope you get impacted, impacted in some way. No, this is so important for the way we, we view life, we interact with life. Either you're going to see the world through the lens of God or you're going to see it through the lens of man. You're going to see the world for all the, the, the comforts that it has to offer, all the, the nice things that it has to offer, or you can see it through the lens of God. And I, I think it's, it's this understanding that if we have the lens of the world and we're so infatuated with what the world has to offer, what this passage is saying is that our hearts, the light inside of our hearts will be turned into darkness and that darkness will be great. And I, I think there's a truth even in that, in the darkness, that there is so much comfort in the darkness, that it feels good, that it feels so good to have this perspective of the world and what the world has to offer because I can do what I want to do, that I don't have to be transparent. I don't have to let the world know my weaknesses and my flaws. I can live in the darkness. Then Jesus begins to go even deeper into the same idea and he, and he actually just, he, I don't know. I don't know how he gave this sermon. I just, I just can imagine him just getting very frustrated in, in certain ways. Because I think as he's even giving the sermon, the people are, are, are becoming more and more confused. Not because they don't understand what he's saying, but because what he's saying is so difficult, what he's saying is so radical, that they begin to turn off their ears. And, he, and, he, and what he says to them is very simple. You can only have one master in this life. You can only follow one of these things. You can either follow God or you can follow your possessions. Either you can follow God or you can follow your net worth. Either you can follow God or you can follow success. There is no, there is no middle ground. You can't serve both. It's one or the other. And again, even for us sitting here, that is such a, that's such a difficult proposition. Because even though we may say it with our mouths, and especially of those of you who have grown up in the church who have been very trained to, to be a good Christian. We know with our mouth, we say, oh, I follow God. I love God. I'll do whatever God says. If God calls me, I'll, I'll go. You know, we, we say all these things. But what I see in practice, and, and, and ah, this is what, I, I'm struggling with it, as, with it as well. This is why I, I hope you, you don't feel judgment from me. But you have to understand that that as I'm just trying to explain what I'm witnessing, it's, it's a very frustrating thing. So again, no judgment on you. But when I hear that people, will say, that people say with their mouths, I'll follow God, I'll do what he says, I'll go where he calls me to go, that I know what ends up happening is this. That if money, that the world calls, and the world says, well, God tells you to do this, I can double your salary. I can triple your salary. I can quadruple your net worth. That many times, many times when we hear the whisper of success or even the loud voice of success, even if God is shouting at the top of his lungs that he wants you, he wants your attention, he wants your affection, he wants all of you, because we hear the voice of the master of money, of our possessions, of the promises 
that this other boss wants to give us. That many times, even though we hear the voice of our Heavenly Father telling us how we should live, how, what we should do, that the master, money, that his commands cut much deeper inside of us. That the, the hope of success the hope of that promotion, that bigger paycheck, speaks so loudly in us that we're willing to give up our allegiance to God and we align our allegiance to the world, to material possessions. And again, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the church. I've seen this more and more happen within the walls of the church. This hypocrisy where words come out of our mouths, where we sing these songs of praise and we say, God, I love you. I give my life to you. I surrender to you. And then we go and we live our lives on Monday and we say, no, instead I actually surrender to my job. That if my job asks me to stay an extra hour, oh, you're going to pay me overtime? Oh, I'll, I'll stay an extra hour. I'm getting, I'm getting paid a time and a half. So of course I'm going to spend that extra hour working for my job. Oh, you want me to go on a business trip? Of course I'll go on a business trip because, oh, I'm going to get a bonus if I go on a business trip? If I, if I go and travel across the world to, to do what you want me to do? Of course I'll do that. And again, I'm not saying that this is wrong. I'm not saying that you being faithful in your job is a bad thing. But again, it's where our heart lies, our passion lies. Our desire lies. For many of us, the only thing that gets our, our blood flowing, our juices going, is the prospect of success. Because we're so enamored by the master of money. Because the idea of being successful gets us excited. It gets us aroused. Oh, I want to be rich. Oh, I want to be famous. I want to have all the things that, 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 that money has to offer me, so I will do whatever it takes to be in, on the good side of my master. But see, what God is trying to explain to us is this. The master of money, the master, which is money, which is the success, the, 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 the control of net worth, the way in which it operates and it impacts us and it shapes us and it molds us is a very silent killer. But what it begins to do is it begins to mark your life on an evaluation of success and failure. If your master is money, if your master is your net worth, then what will you, you'll begin to see is that your identity will inherently be transformed and changed by how well you are doing in light of your boss in light of your master. Money will tell you if you're doing a good job. Success will tell you if you are on the right path. Because why? You will experience materialistic reward. You will experience promotions. You will experience all of the joys of getting ahead. And we begin to determine whether people are good or bad based on how much they have, how much they make, how much they produce. And what I've seen happen time and time again is if we live in this kind of mindset, under this kind of leader, under this kind of master, you live in fear. You live in anxiety and stress because you need to get ahead. You need to make more. That it's never enough. That you need to make sure that you're providing and you're doing well. And so what we do is we begin to compare because inherently 
the master, this, this, this master that is over us, that wants us to, to just work for money and success and possessions, he wants you to be stressed. He wants you to be worried. He wants you to, he doesn't want you to be content. So we begin to compare to our neighbors and our left and our right. Because there's so much stress building up because we feel our master breathing over our necks. This master of money is breathing over our necks. And so the way that we cut down on that stress is we look to our neighbor and say, well, I'm making double of what they make. So oh. we look to people who aren't making a lot and, 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 and thinking, oh, I don't even know how they survive. Like, how, how do they make it work? They don't make any money at all. And so we, we, we begin to calm down our stress by boosting up our pride. By becoming arrogant and thinking, you know what? I'm smarter than they are. I'm better than they are. And so I get paid more. Because I know how to be good to my master. I know how to get money to, to reward me because I've dedicated and devoted my time, effort, and energy to this master of money. And so I, I know how it works. And so when people make less than me, ooh, I'm better than they are. I, I, I'm in a better situation than they are. So we can put it down. There's something else that happens with this comparison. We find someone next to us, then we compare, and they're doing better than we are. And instead of being happy for them or, or, or saying, oh, that's great, it's wonderful, even though that's the words that come out of our mouth, we're like, oh, that's so wonderful. You get paid literally quadruple what I make. Oh, that's so great. God has blessed you so much. Oh, In our hearts, that stress comes back. That greed comes back. That worry comes back. Man, I need to work harder. I need to, I need to begin to get a side hustle. I need, I need to start making more income because I need to get to that level. Because if I don't, I mean, they're stressed about money. And so if they're stressed about money and they make that much money and I'm stressed about money and I only make this much money, I need to be that much more, that much more of, of someone who needs to provide for my family. Somebody needs to go out there and, and, and get my career started up and running because if I don't, I'm going to die. And the master, the master of the world will be there to whisper in your ear and say, you're right. You're a failure. You don't make enough. You're not doing a good enough job. So you need to work harder. You need to do more. Jesus brings in this idea that there are two masters. One's money, and I've, I've gone into depth about how that master operates. There's another master. And it comes at no surprise that this master is, is God. And it's, it's so interesting to me when I, when I hear from the secular media, from the internet, just how much hate there is towards God. How much anger there is towards God. That, that, that at the end of the day, that, that the world has a very good PR campaign against the Lord. Because the Lord does not promise earthly riches. The Lord does not promise something tangible in front of you that you can touch, that you can hold on to, that you can have a numerical value, that you can determine immediately how much it's worth. The world sees God and sees him as being invisible. And so when we say that my allegiance is not to money, it's not to my possessions, it's not to this world, but my allegiance is totally on the Lord and totally on God, we have to understand the world is literally looking at us and saying, you're crazy. You're insane. What do you mean you don't have your allegiance set on money? What do you mean that, that material possessions don't matter to you? 
then we need to understand what God does offer. See, on one end, if your master is money, if your master is money, your identity is wrapped around your net worth. Plain and simple. If your master is money, the way in which you determine your identity is based on how much money you have, how much things you have, and that's fine. I mean, really, at the end of the day, if that's, if that's who you want your master to be, that's okay. And I'm very proud of you for making a lot of money. I'm very proud of you for having a lot of things. But I need to explain to you, if your master is the Lord, the way he determines your identity is very different. It's very, very different. If, the mas- if your master is the Lord, your identity is not based in a work relationship. See, the, ma- the, the master, if, the, if your master is money, your, your relationship is like that of a boss and a worker. He, he is expecting you to work hard and to produce. And if you produce, he will reward you. If you don't produce, he'll fire you. He'll, he'll punish you. He'll put you down the drain. But the way in which the Lord the way in which God is our master is as our father. It's like a dad. It's like a parent. It's like someone who loves you, someone who cares about you. And your identity is not based on what you've done. My children's identity is not based on what they've done. It's based on the fact that they exist. That, that, that is my children, their, their identity, their success or their failure has nothing to do with what they've done. It has everything to do with who they are. And who they are, they're my children. And we have to understand something. Very, very, very important. We were not born into the house of God. We were adopted into the house of God. And the price in which God adopted us, because it wasn't free. God did not just pick us up out of the dirt and say, you're mine, and not pay a price. That the way that God determined our value is very important. When you adopt someone, you have to pay a fine. You have to pay a fee. You have to pay for their adoption, for all the different things that it costs. And usually there's a numerical value, and usually it's pretty high. So this is our time to ask God, okay, God, what was my numerical value? How much am I worth? And this is where God says, there is no numerical value of what it costed me to adopt you, but let me show you. And what he did is he sent his own son in the form of a man to die for us. And that death, and Jesus' death, is the price that was paid so that we could be adopted into God's family, into his home. So now, Instead of having our master be money, we look at the Lord. We say, you're my master. So let me be a servant in your household because you, you brought me out of the muck and mire, out of all of my sin, out of all of my poverty, and you've clothed me. You've, you've given me authority. And God says, I don't want you just to be a servant. I want you to be my child. And so we have all the privileges of children. Your net worth, your net worth in the house of God doesn't matter. And this isn't to say that you need to go and empty your bank accounts and give it away. what What I mean to say is, it's not to say that you don't save. It's not to say you don't have nice things. I'm saying the value of your life has nothing to do with how much is in your bank account. Has nothing to do with that. Your identity, there is no need for you to base how much you're worth on how much you have. The basis of your identity is how much was paid for you. How much God put on the line for you. How much he sacrificed for you. 
And that comes in the form of Jesus. So because our master paid for us, bought us, not with money, but with blood, now we live lives where our identity is determined wholly on Jesus, wholly on Christ. That whether you are a success or a failure in the eyes of the world, that you are a success in the eyes of God. That he looks at you and he determines you wholly. I don't think we use this word enough, but he determines you wholly. He determines you clean, you pure, you respectable. Because of his son. Because of Jesus. But what we do is this. We say, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the determination that I'm your child, but I need to go to, and make my own. I need, to, I need to leave your house, and I need to go into the world and make money. And I need to build up for myself my kingdom. Church, I, 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 had so much, I have so much to say about this, and I, I'm so glad I'm your pastor because I can just say it in, in weeks to come and, and just over, over my lifetime just to share with you my thoughts on this. But really today, your kingdom here on earth, your bank account, your stocks, your, your businesses, your cars, your houses, they'll all rust, they'll all decay, they'll all go away. None of them can you take beyond the grave. At the end of your life, if your whole life was determined on following the master of money, following money and saying, my allegiance is based on you. At the end of your life, money will look at you and, said, and say, wasn't that a fun ride? Wasn't, wasn't that a good time? And you'll die. But see, the, something happens when our master is the Lord, as we are covered in the blood of Jesus, that we end our life, that when we come to the final stretch of our lives and we come to that final moment where we know death is approaching and again, death approaches all, but instead of having our master say, hey, wasn't that fun? What God says is, he says, welcome home. He says, I hope you had a good time. I hope you learned about me. But now it's about spending the rest of eternity with him. If your master is money, that's, I can't even say that's great. If your master is money, I guarantee you that money can only offer Money can only offer you money. So if your master is money and that's all you want, it can offer itself. It can offer to give itself to you. And so if you dedicate your whole life to following money, that money is all that it's about, net worth is all it's about, it can give it to you. It can guarantee it. If you work hard enough, you will attain money. You will have it. But that's all it can offer you. And it ends there. But let me explain to you. If your master is the Lord, the Lord will offer himself to you. And he's already offered him to, himself to you. And if that's what you want, if you want a relationship with God, if you want him in your life where you know that no matter what happens, no matter what circumstance, that your identity is secure in him, money won't matter. Money won't matter at all because whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you know that you have God. And you know that he resides inside of you. And so the way in which you determine the decisions you make in your life, whether you determine whether to not pay your taxes, whether you determine to cheat, 
to steal, to lie. Whether you determine to cheat on your, on your spouse, whether you determine to do these things, instead of being led by the master of the world, you would be led by the Lord. And we know very clearly what the Lord would tell you to do in those situations. And I guarantee you, if you follow the Lord, you'll be led to life. And I guarantee you, if you follow the way of money, you'll be led to death. I'm, I'm struggling with this. This is not something that I've figured out. I think it's just so prevalent in our culture and our society. This is not a message of guilt. It's a message of freedom. My goal every single day is to align my identity to God, to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want our identity based on you. So many times we fail because our master is money. Our master is our net worth, our success. And God, that's so temporary. And yes, it's so easy for us to get distracted and have our eyes set on the darkness. But Lord, would you give us the strength? Would you speak to us loudly? Would you speak to us intimately that we would know that our life needs to be revolved around you, centered around you, devoted to you instead? God, so many of us are willing to work extra hours for extra money. But Father, I pray you would give us a heart to work extra hours for our Father. That we have a willingness to work extra hours for our brothers and our sisters. That we would have a desire to work for your kingdom rather than our kingdom. Father, we love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.